Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show. I'm your host, Scott Dillingham. The goal of the show is to show you how you can grow personally, financially, have a larger net worth, and leverage your largest asset to help you develop the person you want to be. I take you through all the steps I did from being nothing to being told that I was nobody and I was never going to accomplish anything, from getting kicked out of high school to owning a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio in my own company with more than 20 employees. You'll meet our partners, you'll meet our friends, you'll quickly discover how you can improve your life. So listen in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Wisdom Lifestyle Money Show, everyone. My name is Jillian Irving. And for those of you who don't know me already and who haven't met me here, I'm a mortgage agent with Lens City. I'm a longtime real estate investor myself with a portfolio in Ontario, New Brunswick. I'm also looking to expand into the United States, which is super exciting now that Lens City can get mortgages there. So I work with investors, both on the financing side and the coaching side. And in my personal time, I'm an avid runner and a marathoner. And I'm really excited to have a conversation with Evan Unger of Tuck Capital today, because reading your bio, Evan, I'm just going to just touch on a couple of things that I saw. So you're a real estate entrepreneur. You're the author of Make the Decision, which is an Amazon best-selling book on goal setting. You're a partner in four privately held companies, and you have two Guinness World Record records? Yep. Okay. I don't even really know where to start with all of this. I think, <laughs> let's start with your Guinness World Records. What are your Guinness World Records in? I mean, thank you so much for having me. I really <laughs> appreciate it. I'm excited to chat with you today and learn from you and hopefully, you know, create some value for, for your listeners. Mm -hmm. That'd be to answer your question, I have two Guinness World Records for the highest standing jumps in the world. So if you know what a box jump is in the gym. Uh -huh. uh, yes, I've embarrassed myself many a time on box jumps. <laughs> there you go, as we all have. But I have a Guinness World Record for the highest standing box jump. And then I have my second record is for the highest box jump off of one leg. Wow. Well, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I think mine, I probably am the opposite of that. I feel like that is probably my weakest possible thing. <laughs> I, I do have other areas that I do okay in, but box jumping is actually not one of them. So is that something you had to, tr obviously you trained for that for an awfully long time. I mean, I think, you know, the story goes that there was this coworker of mine who I used to work at a gym a while back and I had this coworker who always challenged me, you know, oh, who can bench more, who can squat more. And then one day he came up with who can, you know, jump higher. And we ended up just going back and back. And eventually by the time we were finished, the gym was like clapping and people were like watching us. And so we Googled it and I was a foot away from the record. So I was like, I'm going to train for this and beat it. And so I trained for just under a year and a year later, I beat that record. That's really incredible. And so was this before you wrote your book on goal setting or was your goal setting book before that? Or did they inspire one another? <laughs> I think the jumps definitely inspired part of the book. And so I was, you know, I was achieving some really big goals in my mind and, and people were asking me like, okay, what did you do for this? How did you stay on track? What is that? Like, I bought my first house when I was in my early twenties, uh, you know, in, in Oakville, Ontario, you know, I've just been hitting some goals from when I was younger and people kept asking me, you know, what are you doing to hit these things? And I said, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to write it out and, and uh, there we go. And so is that, do you feel like goal setting has been the foundation to your success? Is that what Oops. is rooted at the bottom of everything? I think goal setting plays a massive role in anything we do. Um, all of your actionable tasks, all of your planning has to be 
systematized out of something. So if you don't have a goal and a specific target that you're aiming for, how are you going to create any type of next steps and next action? So I do believe the goal planning has had a massive impact. Yeah. Just to keep it sort of related to, to, I mean, I'm sure your goal setting can benefit people no matter what industry or what their focus is, but if we keep it sort of centered on, on, on real estate, are there different goal-setting techniques for those who are interested in real estate, would you say? Do they vary depending on what you're... It's really all fundamentally the same thing. I believe that goal-setting is fundamentally the same no matter where, what industry you're in. And I, I think that's what makes it so powerful is you can sit back in your life and, and pick any part of your life, personal, professional, from hobbies to health and fitness. You can pick anything and you can create a goal the same way and you can break that goal down and backwards the same way. That's It translates well across different parts of your life. And do you feel like you have sort of areas of your life that you... So what are the areas? So there's personal, you mentioned. So there's personal, financial... What else? Yeah, physical be- for you. What are the areas that you tend to chunk it into for people or say you need to be thinking about all of these? Yeah, I think it's important to think about all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a bad thing to have priorities in one aspect of your life for your goals, but you do want to make sure that you're you are focusing across the spectrum. So I would say you have your health, you have your money, you have your, uh, you know, your hobbies and your fun and you have your, you know, your relationships. And so Mm -hmm. those would be like some key areas I would focus on for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about how health kind of has to be number one, really at the, but really you can't have any of the other things unless you have your health. Is that something that you believe too, that everything else has, you have to kind of, they have to, you know, Jimmy for priority, but at the base of everything it has to be your health. Otherwise you can't really accomplish much if you're not. And you know, you see a lot of young people these days who don't prioritize that. <clears throat> and I always tell them, you know, try achieving any of these goals in bad health and mm-hmm. you will quickly learn that your health becomes number one. So, and mm-hmm. that's mental and physical health. You've got to be, you know, setting goals and practicing uh, for both. Yeah, I certainly, um, so I started running in earnest during the pandemic, you know, like what else were you going to do really? But I really took it seriously. So what, that's almost four years now. And I feel like everything is different fundamentally. I mean, with such a rock solid fitness as a priority, I feel just so much better about everything. Like you kind of have the clarity you need for all the decisions that you make. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. You're just going to get, your body's going to get stronger. (laughs) Your discipline becomes better. You're, you know, you got the good chemical reactions happening in the body. Everything works better for you when you're Mm -hmm. in control. Mm -hmm. Um, Now tell me a little bit about Talk Capital, because I suspect the people who are going to tune into us today are going to want to know about sort of the real estate aspects of your life and how it is that you can either help investors either get started or tell me, why don't you just tell me a little bit about Tuck Capital and what you do? Yeah. So Tuck Capital is kind of like our <clears throat> overarching consulting and, and, and brand that we have under like over our umbrella. That is our umbrella. And then we have Tuck Developments, uh, we have Choice Renovations Canada, um, and we have LISO, and these are all vertically integrated, uh, basically to support our real estate system that we have. Um, Capital was born out of uh, myself and my business partner, Jordan, consulting on different business ventures and deals. 
And, you know, we ended up consulting and, and actually lending our own funds to someone who was building out a real estate portfolio. And it came to our attention, like, how are they borrowing at this rate and still being profitable? And so he mm -hmm. said, maybe instead of lending on these things, you know, we should jump in. A long time ago, we jumped in and learned the ropes and we haven't looked back since. We've really been in love with the real estate industry since. So you provide loans to investors who are looking to grow? Is that what you do? Well, no, not anymore. We can help like consult to help introduce them or help even goal plan with them for what they will need for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but mainly we're doing our own developments and, and our own growth now and supporting our mm -hmm. own system. And where are you focusing your, your attentions and like what market are you focusing on in terms of the development? Um, it's mixed. We're across, you know, I think we're in like eight different cities in Ontario. We have some good reach there. Southern Ontario, like favorite spots are going to be Hamilton, St. Catharines, Port Colborne, Welland. You know, Niagara and Hamilton region are more of my favorite Southern. And then mm -hmm. up in the north, you know, Sault Ste. Marie would probably be like my one pick up there. And do you find it different? I mean, I've just been hearing so many people these days. Investors seems so tired of Ontario, like with its the difficult landlord tenant board prices, just so many things about Ontario. There's just so much investor ennui with this area, right? We're like, oh God, it's hard to do business here. What, I mean, do you have advice for investors who are trying to make it in this market who, who, you know, you appreciate investing out of province or far away. There's difficulties that come with that. You know, what would you say to an investor who's trying to decide whether to make it work here or go to a different province or out of the country to invest? You know, I feel the same, I share the same sentiment of it is really hard to do it in Ontario. Uh, yeah. The landlord tenant laws are not even like in the tenant's favor. They're not in the landlord's lap at all. There really is no, it's just so disadvantageous to be a landlord in, in Ontario. But mm -hmm. with that, you know, like you're getting crazy appreciation compared to most other places. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're getting some different demographic depending on where you are in Ontario. And we're a thriving economy compared to the majority of the other provinces if you look at the stats, right? And so I would say know, do your research and know what you're getting yourself into and you should be mm -hmm. fine. That's really mm -hmm. the big thing. I see so many people who jump in, you know, they call me, Evan, I got this tenant, you know, they're, they're not paying. What do I do? All this stuff. Right. How many properties do you have? I have one. I didn't, I don't, I came over, I, I kicked in the door. I did this. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, a lot of that stuff comes as surprise and that's where the majority of the pain comes from is just yeah. not going and being surprised. So I say get educated and build your team out. Building your team will be one of the most important things you do. Mm -hmm. You know, getting that amazing paralegal on your side, getting the accountants, the realtors, if you need them, the the con contractors, especially. So these are the people in your team that you have to assemble and they got to be like your A team. They got, you got to be willing to go to war with these people. And if you are, Mm -hmm. They handle these things for you, right? If you're trying to juggle everything on your own in a province like Ontario, it gets very hard very quickly. I've always, I, I am a, a heavy, a lot of my portfolio is focused on student rentals and I don't have to worry. They're their own headaches. There are yeah. some headaches that come with students. But one of the headaches I don't have is non-payment of rent and people staying forever and being out of market rents after a few years. You know, it's funny. People look at that strategy and go, Jillian, you're nuts for doing that. But I don't know, I've had an amazing appreciating portfolio and the kids just leave after two years and they just move out and move on. And then I just fill it again. So 
I guess, you know, also knowing the strategy, knowing the pitfalls of one strategy versus another is always kind of key. That's I'm assuming you know, right? It, yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll follow the, we, we have a mix of student rentals as well. We have a few of them uh, in Hamilton, uh, some near Mohawk and some near McMaster uh, schools. We enjoy that same opportunity. And like you said, every advantage also comes with its own its own problems to solve. You know, the turnover, uh, sometimes the damage, you know, you're dealing with a lot more points of communication in a house versus one person from a family. You know, there's different things that come with it, but it, there are major advantages to it as well. And, and we actually had ours as Airbnbs during the pandemic and they did really well. Wow. Uh, wow. And we, they weren't supposed to be student rentals. They were like really high-end done homes and we did them as Airbnbs. And then the pandemic ended and I feel like the travel and destination places for Airbnbs were really good, but the like inner city Airbnbs just kind of flopped off a bit. So um, we pivoted really quickly. We started putting out marketing for what we call luxury student rentals and they filled up in no time. You know, I've always thought that was a fascinating niche and especially in Hamilton too, where I feel like you draw from families that are coming like from Toronto or Oakville, a lot of them, so that there's some, you know, family assistance behind these students. And so let me ask you, are your rents just unbelievable now in these luxury student rentals? People are paying for it, I bet. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, the accommodations that we provide are much nicer. You know, the kitchens are really well equipped. Everything's furnished as if it's a high-end Airbnb. So you're getting, you know, all your bedding and mattresses and bed frames. You're getting like decorative stuff around the house. Like it's nice. It's a really nice like upper and, you know, all the utensils and plates and everything. They're matching sets. Like, you know, it's this small stuff like that. Big difference, right? I I laugh. It's what kind of next generation of young adults, they're going to come out of there with very high expectations about the kind of life. I I sat on milk crates. Like I had to, I found my furniture from the people who moved out on the street. You know, you're like, oh, it's Thursday. It's big furniture garbage day we'll go and see if we can find a new kitchen table yeah no they're sitting on like nice dining tables and chairs with like glass tops and like you know canvases around the house fake plants like you name it is there and yeah we're doing really well with the rents you know what do you think is that double what a typical student rental would be in terms of rent do you suppose I'd say we're probably close to that. I don't know about full double, but our stuff near Mohawk for a single occupancy room will be almost a thousand dollars for the room. And mm-hmm. then and then we do entertain double occupancy for our larger rooms and those will be twelve fifty for double occupancy. So mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I, you know, again, I think um, you know, knowing who you're going to attract with a place like that, chances are you're probably going to attract people who want nicer or probably going to behave a little bit better. And knowing too that if they're committing to a place that has such high rent, if there's damage, that they have a financial ability to fix it. So sometimes there's a lot to be said about, you know, willing to put the money in. You know, it's not all about not spending money as a landlord. Sometimes you right. spend the money and it comes back to you a lot faster when you do that. That's exactly right. That's and then that's how we really feel. So we try and take care of these tenants and these students, and and we feel they're doing the same for us. So it works out really well. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. But what I hear in this story is that you're always looking for opportunity in the places you have. That you're never just letting things run, ever. That's not a thing. That you're no. constantly looking at every investment and trying to optimize it. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that process and other changes that you might have made to your portfolio that would, you know, 
be an example for how, you know, so you move from a regular student rental to a luxury student rental. Are there other examples of that would give people ideas of what they might be able to do in their portfolio just to kind of give that little tweak? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that those properties, we pivoted multiple times on those properties alone. They were actually meant to be, one of them was meant to be a flip. We were going to flip it. And then we saw that you know, the, the the margin on the flip we had anticipated didn't end up being as, as much as we wanted to. We said, you know what, I think this will cash flow well. It's in a perfect location for an Airbnb. So that's when we turned pivoted to Airbnb. And then from there, we pivoted to luxury student rental. But I would say the advice I have is really making sure you know the operation of your properties, no matter what scale you're at. If you have one or if you have 100 or 200, you know, our bookkeeper provides us with, you know, NOI statements frequently so we can evaluate the health of each property. And, and we're looking at that, a physical, going to the doctor and getting a physical almost. So, you know, come in, check your health. We checked out the property. What are the utility bills? Why is this doubled now? You know, oh, we're, we're, we're doing well here. Is there room to intensify this? How can we add, you know, how can we double the rent, the, the, the gross on this? Can we add laundry? Can we get paid parking? So these are things we look at often. We've taken many single family homes that we've had and converted them into multi-unit dwellings to increase the NOI. So there's definitely many ways you can go about it for sure. You know, but I think you're right about, having a regular check-in, right? I mean, you need to know, you can't make changes if you don't know what's happening, just like you can't for your own health, right? You're like, Houston, we've got a problem. I mean, we had huge problems with utilities with students, right? Especially if they weren't paying for the bills. They just were like, hey, I had one group of tenants once for properties in St. Catharines, and we had one of those indoor garages, but it had no heating in it, but they had a five-day beer pong tournament in there with and they used space heaters to heat it. Oh and so God. I got this insane heating bill, you know, but so you get burned once and then you learn your lesson and you never do it again. So I had heating caps on any bills that, you know, utilities caps on any leases that weren't, that didn't have the utilities included. But you wouldn't know that necessarily if you weren't taking a, I mean, obviously I'd noticed the what whatever gazillion dollar bill I got on that one, but slight increases, I think it's really important. No one really cares about your property the way you do. So I think having an accounting team that's giving you stuff regularly, I think is probably one of the best bets there is out there. I agree. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the team that you have around you, the the folks at Tech Capital, do you all have different areas of expertise? What is the makeup of your team and who occupies sort of what territory? Yeah, great question. I mean, we we kind of built businesses around the the team members that we would need. So instead of incorporating everybody into one business, we helped other people start businesses and get into business. We partner with people who are way better than us and then create a business with them. And that's kind of how we did it. You know, the renovations company, you know, my business partner, Jordan had a great friend, his name's Josh. And, you know, he was an amazing contractor and did gorgeous work. And so we partnered with him and created our construction company. And, you know, we did the same thing for our property management and did the same thing for our development. So Jordan and I partnered up for that as well. I think we, we all have different roles. Some of our businesses are external facing. So like the construction company is uh, external facing, but the rest of them are internal. So it's it's been fun. Right. But it again, it sounds like there's just so much, like there's a lot of self-awareness too. It's know thyself. You're like, mm, I'm not so great at renovations, but boy, I know exactly the right person, right? Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. I guess that's the importance it's, of creating your team is you're not trying to reinvent anything ever, really. You're trying to just find the right person to do the work that you need, yeah. that you know needs to be done. 
It's really who, not how. You know, it's, it really is who can do this better than me and take this off my plate. And so I, I just surround myself with people who do it way, way better than me. Mm-hmm. And it's one of your goals trying to manage your time. Is that a goal? I mean, I feel like that's one of the things I need to wrestle more is how do I control my day more? Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I, and the who, not how would help with that, right? Who am I going to give this job to? <laughs> yes, I agree completely with that. I think um, I can absolutely improve on that part of my life as well. I feel like I'm, I'm working quite often, but you know, definitely delegation is key and and making sure you're setting yourself up for some personal boundaries will help as well. So that way you have to work within them. And that that kind of forces your hand to delegate or be more efficient. And are there sort of, do you have products or services that you offer to investors who are like, hey, I need consulting. You guys sound like you know what you're doing. Is that something like of a new investor or a, you know, a semi-sophisticated investors? I just need to scale and I don't know how to do that. Can I come to Tech Capital and say, I need help with this? Yeah, absolutely. So you can come and we can consult in whatever area that you're looking for in the real estate uh, you know, process. We help people with turnkey renovations, planning. We help them with turnkey acquisitions. You know, like we, we help people uh, optimize their income on their properties. We've mentored a lot of people to help them purchase their first primary or their first investment property or you know, larger. We actually, we help publicly traded companies do their acquisitions. We're working on with private investors and publicly traded companies from the ground up uh, at every stage in the process. So it's been quite exciting. That's really great. So it doesn't matter what your goals are, whether or not you just want to get, not dabble, but get, just get started and start slowly. You can help with that versus all the way up to the big publicly traded companies who will buy up whatever. That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, can we just, I just want to circle back a little bit to the, to the goal setting. I mean, obviously we want everyone to get your book, but are there a couple of tips, like just a couple of tips that you could give our listeners on how to get started with goal setting or some suggestions that you have about, because I feel like people make goals all the time and they're not necessarily followed through. So how would you coach someone about creating meaningful goals that are likely to be followed through? That's an amazing question. It's the perfect question. So I hope I can give some amazing value here on it. I really believe that you have to have a very specific goal. Don't make it generalized. Oh, I want to be rich. It's okay. You can't attract rich. You can attract $1 million by, you know, February 16th. Like that is a specific goal. You can even dig in more. I want to make $1 million by February 16th by flipping homes or, you know, something super specific like that. That's, that's how you start with your goal. And you really got to come up with a why, a really deep rooted why. And that's your why is your reason you're doing this. So you got to find something that's emotional to you. Getting out of bed for money, very few people will overcome the obstacles, hurdles, and speed bumps in the road to getting to achieving a goal just for like the goal itself. Like the money isn't the goal itself. The car isn't the goal itself. You know, lifting this amount of weight isn't the goal itself. It's like, there's a deeper reason for it and you have to dig deeper for it, right? Like, you know, maybe getting into better health will help you you spend more time with your family for longer, be around for your grandkids. Something like that is a really deep rooted why, or maybe you want to earn more money to retire your parents or 
spend more time with your parents or your kids. There's so many deeper reasons as to why you're achieving these goals and having something that you can anchor in deep rooted emotion. That's what's going to get you out of bed in the morning. That's what's going to keep you on track for your goals when, you know, all hell breaks loose. And there's a lot of, you know, when it's raining out there. So you really want to have some deeper reason. And then the last thing I would say is you want to keep that thing, that goal in front of you often and and keep reminders of it, you know, set a goal, wear a bracelet that like reminds you of this goal or, you know, manifest and, 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 you know, say a manifestation every day while you're touching this bracelet. And then every time you see the bracelet, you'll be reminded of it. And, you know, Bob Proctor used to t- say, you know, bring a goal card with you and keep it in your front pocket. And every time you're you put your hand in your pocket, you feel this goal card has your goal written on it. And it reminds you mm-hmm. of your goal. It's just these small things that keep you on track to achieve your goal that really keep it in focus. Mm-hmm. I heard Jim Carrey carried around a check for a million dollars in his pocket when that amount of money was just absolutely unheard of in Hollywood and that he would touch it, feel it, believe it every single day. And now it just seems of course he did, right? Because of course he would be the person to have achieved that. But that is just a, it seems like it's such a smart tool. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. I mean, you begin to think about it, you begin to attract it, you begin to consciously and subconsciously do the things that are needed to get there. You talk about it more, you act on it more. It's in front of your brain. Someone walks by. I mean, I'll give you a good example. This is the most ridiculous example, but we have a property that we're working on in Niagara region and it needs like, uh, we're, we're building it basically from the ground up and we need to pour this foundation. Our foundation quotes came in for concrete and I've been like meeting, I was like, right, I, I want to get a better quote for concrete. I want to get a better quote for concrete. And the other day I was, talking to my business partner, Jordan, about it. And at that moment, I walked by and there was just a guy in the gym walked by me with a shirt and it said- I pour concrete. (laughs) Literally. And I just stopped him and I was like, hey, what do you do for a living? He's like, oh yeah, this business, I I do concrete work. And I was like, anyway, can you give me a quote for this? And he came in 10% cheaper than what we were looking for. And so this is perfect. But that's because you were were thinking about it. It was on your mind. You knew it was a priority. It was- Consideration with your goals. That's the problem is that I was on the phone and we're in the middle of building this out. So it's really Mm. easy for that to be a priority and be on my mind. But your goals that you're setting aren't like, every day in front of you, every two seconds, the whirlwind of the day becomes really reactionary. And so your goals tend to fade into the background. And so that's really why you want to keep something front of mind, because you're going to see those opportunities. If I, if that wasn't in the forefront of my mind, that guy probably just would have walked by me. I never would have seen that on his shirt. Mm-hmm. But now imagine your goal is is something specific that you've created and it's in the forefront of your mind and you see a guy walk by, let's say your goal is you want to work for you know, you want to work for Elon Musk and directly for Elon Musk. Like, I don't know, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're going to talk about it. You're going to feel it. You're going to, and you're going to remind yourself of it. And one day someone's going to say, oh, I worked for this company who had this. You're like, oh my God, you have a connection here. Can I talk to you about that? And so it helps you get to that goal for sure. But it does sound too that you're, you have sort of long-term permanent goals that are probably related to your health. Like I'm going to be fit. You know, I, my, one of my goals is to be healthy for my grandkids or whatever as a, I'm hopefully a long time away from that. I'm not, I don't even want to say that out loud. My kids are too young. But so you've got goals for that, like long-term health, but you know, the foundation pouring for the house, like that's an immediate goal. So are there, so there's goals clearly for short-term, mid-term, long-term. Is that what you do? Or do you focus more on the bigger overarching goals? And then you make 
short-term goals? How do you prioritize the ranges of goals? Because otherwise you could be making goals every day. Like do you have daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals? Um, How do you structure it? So I would say the best way to do it is think of the biggest goal you have. Take any area that we spoke about, health, finance, relationship, everything, and pick the goal that means the most to you. Make it super specific, but make it huge. Make it so big that you're nervous talking to small-minded people about it. Don't they it, call okay? them BHAGs, the big, hairy, audacious goals? There you go. I haven't heard that before, but that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. So that's the type of goal you want to pick, something really big. And then you're just going to, what we call chunk down on that goal. So you, you have this big, huge goal. Maybe it's, I want to own 500 rental properties. That's great. Maybe you have none right now, but you want to have 500 and it's okay. You're not going to focus on owning 500 for tomorrow. You're going to plan this goal. You're going to say, here's what I want to have it done by. And then you're going to break it down via time and effort and what needs to be done. So maybe it's, I want to have 500 rental properties in the next five years. Okay. That's a hundred rental properties a year, right? You're, you're going to be at roughly eight properties, eight and a half properties a month you need to be buying. And that becomes your goal. And then you break that down and it's two properties a week. So, okay, we got to be buying two properties a week in order to hit 500 properties by the end of five years. And that's really how you go from a really big goal uh, that's five years away to a goal that you can focus on today. Mm -hmm. So that they're much more, otherwise, I guess you'd be paralyzed by the impossibility of it all. Of course. So you take it big, you chunk it down, and then you create action steps on it. So that's your goal of, okay, I want to acquire two properties a week. Then you take that and you say, how many how many properties do I need to analyze and underwrite a week? And then how many properties from the ones that I analyze every week do I have to make offers on in order to have a winning offer? And and that's and then you get to this point where you're like, great, I need to be, I need to be analyzing, you know, in order to pick up two properties a week, I need to be analyzing. 30 properties a week and I need to be offering on 17. I don't know, whatever the numbers end up working out. And okay, great. 17 offers have to go out a week. Now, what do I have to do? How many calls do I have to make to get 17 offers out? You just keep breaking it down until you have your routine, your daily routine in front of you. And then basically from your overarching goal of 500 properties, you can have how many calls you need to make, how many underwritten properties, how many offers, and the people you need to have in place to do that. And there it is in front of you, your daily routine to hit 500 properties in five years. Do you ever worry about, you know, I hear, you know, I do hear a lot of real estate investors talking about how they want these huge portfolios. And in many respects, I think that's great. Like I also have a big portfolio and always wanted a bigger portfolio, but sometimes I'm like, I wonder if you get to the top of that ladder and you're like, oh my gosh, the ladder's up against the wrong wall. <laughs> like That's not the right goal that you work really hard. I mean, I suppose you have to really reflect about the why of it all, because you could do the, you know, 65 calls, 17 offers, two houses a week for five years and have your 500 properties and go, oh my gosh, has this brought me what I wanted, <laughs> right? right? So I suppose at some point you need to make sure I guess that's the reason why you have to spend so much time really understanding the why of it all. Because I hear people put out these numbers. I want, you know, 200 doors. And I think, why? Like, what is your why for that? What is it you want from that? And some people, I think, want the, I'm more, I feel like my goals have changed from active management to more passive management. I'd rather just 
not do all the property management stuff necessarily. Yeah. But anyway, I just, I think it's safe to say that your whys probably evolve over time and you have to really spend a lot of time, not only figuring out what the plan is to make them work, but also reevaluating them to make sure that they're still authentic goals and yeah. still make sense for all the things that you want in your life. Absolutely. That is perfectly said the way you said it. I wouldn't add anything else to it. It's important for you to reflect often, you know, once a week, reflect on how your week went and do a brain dump once a month, do a larger reflection once a quarter, do an even bigger one. And then once a year, replan your annual goals. Like your life is going to change when you're 18, your goals will be different from when you're 25, mm -hmm. 35. So you're going to have kids. You're going to have grandkids. Like the, your goals are going to dramatically change. I mean, your life will dramatically change and your goals need to change with them. Mm -hmm. Evan, I feel like, um, I think we should leave it here. I would like to have you back again, because I want to talk um, about so many other things. I feel like we've touched upon how real estate investors for people who want to get started, they have a sense of what tech capital does. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you, where they can they follow you on social and where can they reach you if they want your services to get started for consultations for their small, medium, large, huge portfolios or any corporate, private companies, out, public companies out there who want to talk to you? How, where can they find you? So you can follow any of us on Instagram, of course, at Evan Unger, or you can email me is the best way. It's Evan, E-V-A-N at tuckcapital.com. And that's T-U-K and then the word capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Fantastic. I hope lots of people reach out to you. I'm sure you're going to have so much helpful advice for them. And it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Evan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> If you're serious about real estate investing and you wanna take it to the next level with the least amount of time and mistakes, then you're going to wanna sign up for our Real Estate Investor Hub. Visit CanadianRealEstateNetwork.com and hit the blue button or banner that says Free Investor Resources. Inside, you'll have access to real estate investing courses, networking opportunities, webinars featuring industry professionals as well as dedicated chat channels to share and get access to unique properties. I look forward to seeing you there.